0: Good morning, everyone. The Mary Griffith Show is underway, brought to you by Refreshment Services Pepsi Harvest Ridge Coffee. A delicious cup in my hands right now, and you can have yours at your local convenience stores or have your boss order it up from Refreshment Services Pepsi and let your whole staff at your office enjoy Harvest Ridge Coffee. Today is the day we talk about veterans' needs in our society. Uh, The Tri-State Veterans Support Group and together with Tri-State's veterans has a monthly program here on WTAD. Richard Elson-Peter is here. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Mary. Always glad to have you here. And we have a special guest today, Barry Chain, retired lieutenant colonel from the United States Air Force. His last duty assignment was with the Pentagon. So we're going to learn all about his story and how that relates to assistance that is needed today by our retired veterans and those returning from the battlefield. So welcome, Mr. Chain. So glad to have you.
1: Oh, Mary, thank you, thank you so much for having me. Today. Should I call I you Lieutenant it. Colonel? What should I call you? I think you should call me Barry. Okay.
0: <laughs> Barry. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about yourself. Uh, give us a brief overview, brief overview of because your your resume is quite impressive. Yeah. But uh, you've done a lot in the military. How'd you get a, How'd you join the military? Why'd you want to join the military?
1: Um. I was a farm boy, dairy farmer, right on the top of very top of New York State, and uh, my father was a judge for about 35 years, and so I was around uh, law enforcement and conservation officers um, in my early years, formative years, and so my goal was to be a New York State policeman. Yeah.
0: So you didn't want to milk cows every day which was your real goal.
1: <laughs> this is very true. I my was dad, offered, but I declined.
0: My dad was a dairy farmer, too. So I understand the, the desire not to do that twice a day. So. Yeah. so you became a New York police officer.
1: No, I n- never got there. Never I, got uh, there. So the age requirement was 21, and I graduated 17. So I went to the Air Force to gain four years of experience. And uh, the short of the long story is I never left. And uh, 28 years later, I retired from the Air Force.
0: And what did you do in the Air Force? Was it law enforcement themed?
1: Right. uh, My first seven years, almost seven years, I was an enlisted man in in the military. And that was strictly law enforcement work. And then I, uh, I separated for two years and finished my degree at New Mexico State University in the ROTC program, commissioned, and then came right back. Uh, to the same line of work, but as an officer in that field, you do it all. So you do a security for nuclear weapons, aircraft, law enforcement of the base, much like a Quincy policing effort, and, uh, and then you have a large deployment capability uh, around the world to, to protect Air Force people, their families, and Air Force assets.
0: Okay, so you're well-traveled?
1: Uh, one would say I've been on the road a, a bit. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> so the Air Force became a career, but you were able to get the subset of law enforcement in that aspect of the military, and that happens a lot. People join the military because they're not quite ready. They ha- there's a there's a requirement to be a police officer, a firefighter. You know some some require a college degree, so they look at the military as a way to perhaps gain that training, that college education, uh, somewhat on the corporate dime, on the government dime, and then hopefully, like you said, you could transition into officers training and uh, and continue on your career. So you're a career man.
1: Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, I would say that I tell people who want to listen, uh, no, the military really set my life um, it provided me uh, educational basis. I ended up getting a master's degree uh, all through the GI Bill. Um, I met my wife in the Air Force. Our children were born in the military. Uh, my second job after 9 11, the attack on the Pentagon, was much related to my experience uh, and uh, background. And we stayed in Washington, D.C. for another 13 years after, after that. And then, you know, I come back to Quincy and uh, I'm not sure if Kyle Moore thought it was a good thing or not, but, you know, my background and, and kind of parlayed into the Fire and Police Commission business here.
0: Okay. Yeah, you mentioned that, and, and that's probably where people know the name Barry Jane. it has been in the news a little bit lately, but we're going to talk today about his veteran service. Were you in active duty at 9-11? Were you on active duty 9-11?
1: Yes. You, yes, were, at I, the,
0: you were at the Pentagon.
1: Right. I was assigned to the Pentagon. I was the director of the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, Security. At all the security programs in the Pentagon, um, responsible for about 2,500 members of the Joint Chief, including the Chairman and all their key staff. So, um, so yes, the particular attack time at 9 11, I was outside of the Pentagon, not literally outside, but away. But I was quickly back in uh, the Pentagon, and we worked. Well, the rest of the day and the night to make sure when Secretary Rumsfeld said we're open for business tomorrow that we could do that.
0: That has to be, you know, you talk about training. And a lot of it, we talk about the veterans. They're used to training. They're used to, I know a protocol. I know a routine. I know what to do if there's a crisis. I know how to spring into action, usually with someone else, urging them on or at least prompting them, remember this is what we do first, and then training kicks in. Did you find... Because you weren't physically there when the plane hit the building. You got there. Um, I'm sure it was chaotic. And, of course, our nation was threatened. We didn't know what, if that was the beginning or the end. We didn't know what was happening. I mean, the Pentagon, now we know in hindsight you know what happened. And the plane went down in the field in, in Pennsylvania. But you didn't know if there were going to be 20 other attacks or if that was it. So what kind of goes through your mind at that point in time you've got to take that chaos and get very focused very quickly and of course being with security obviously you have to make sure that the people that are running our country from a military aspect many of them are there in that building you've got to make sure they're safe including secretary rumsfeld who pretty much was out with his jacket off and his shirt sleeves rolled up carrying stretchers Mm -hmm. did you tell him that was a bad idea or (laughs) do you not tell secretary rumsfeld anything
1: well, uh, I didn't see him that day, but the next day I was out there and I came around the river entrance corner of the Pentagon and almost ran straight over him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we acknowledged each other and he said, what are you doing here? And I told him, he said, okay. He said, keep up the great work.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. So we won't dwell on that, but what a day in our history and you were there as part of it. How uh, how much longer after 9-11 did you separate from... Uh, government service with the Air Force.
1: Right. I I stayed um, on active duty for one more year. Um, And 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 post 9-11, there was a lot of emphasis to relook at how the Pentagon was protected. And uh, ironically, I ended up going to work for a Department of Defense agency as a federal civilian um, that did that kind of work. And so uh, so I stayed on and worked in several working groups uh, post-9-11 um, and then retired in September of
0: uh, 2002. Okay. Mm-hmm. I do want to ask you how you got to Quincy because I'm missing that. My mind, didn't, my mind gapped over that. But you did what a lot of people do. The government often has private people uh, that they hire to, uh, you know, uh, give uh, – guidance to the military as ex-military many of them are ex-military you go from taking orders although i'm sure they valued your opinion but it wasn't like what barry chain said what lieutenant colonel chain whatever you want to do here well how how empowering is it to, they still do whatever they want but how empowering is it to tell some people that uh, maybe you've always wanted to tell there's a better way to do this that there's a better way to do this
1: um, yeah, as I, as I transitioned to my civilian job, um, it was, you know, it was a beautiful setup, if you will. Um, so the short story was after 9-11, uh, the Congress was very concerned about how our bases were protected, how the men and women who worked there were protected and their families were protected. So I uh, I had the pleasure of being a num- the number two guy for about 150-person uh organization that was stood up to look at that threat, both physical and cyber threat all around the world. And uh, we got to personally hire um, military, uh, federal cil- civilians, and contractors to do that initial work, and it, it still continues today. So um, it was pretty satisfying. There was a whole bunch of people on, on my staff that were much smarter than I was, <laughs> and uh, they did great work for our country. And, um
0: Well, we thank you for for that service. You know, I often, uh, when I go out, uh, there's a a military base out in Kansas near Salinas, Kansas, in Abilene, Kansas. And Mm -hmm. they have these cannons up on the hill, the old-fashioned protection from some kind of threat that would come literally over the land, I guess, and and invade Kansas. Just think how long it would take to get there, you know, Mm -hmm. if you were the Chinese or something, even if you dropped in. And I think to myself when I see that, it, it's almost as as um, archaic in a way as having a, a cavalryman on his horse up there scouting for Indians because now we know that the way that people can attack our country is so insidious mm-hmm. that you used to build these bases out in the middle of nowhere thinking that some kind of isolationism would kind of help you and protect you. But with the bombs and the threats we have today, there is no place where you can hide from the enemy, is there?
1: Oh, you're you're very right. I think um, unfortunately the the events of 9/11 uh, was a wake up call that our homeland really needed better protection. And even since that period of 9/11 to now, uh, I I think in my own mind that that the cyber threat is more of a threat than the physical threat um, because. You can be anywhere in the world and affect change in a network. And uh, we obviously have some pretty high-powered networks that run our country um, to include the electrical grid and all those things that, that make our infrastructure go across our country. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, these days I'm most concerned about the cyber threat. Are you on TikTok? No, I am definitely not.
0: (laughs) Barry Chain, my guest today, along with Richard Elson-Peter. It's Tri-State Veterans Support Day, and we've learned a little bit about his story and his service to our country. We're going to talk about what he thinks the top issue is facing veterans. Uh, himself a veteran? Other people are veterans? What are the top issues facing them? And, and what can local support groups like the one right here in Adams County do uh, to make veterans uh reentry into our civilian society a little bit smoother? We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It is 930. We're back. Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Barry Chain eventually got to Quincy because he married a Quincy girl. She had left Jeannie Greist, My classmate had left to go to the Air Force and she snagged Barry, or Barry snagged her. As a case. I think he snagged her since so she's a fabulous, fabulous catch. And now he's back retiring here in her hometown. That's how you get off the dairy farm for good, is you come back to Quincy. Well, your your life story is, is incredible, and I've enjoyed learning a little bit more about this. But let's talk now about tri-state veteran support. You seem to be... Uh, Healthy, happy, wise, mentally stable. Of course, you can't always tell by looking. <laughs> uh, what do you think uh, is the major veteran issue that confronts us in our area? Because you lived, you know, in D.C. where there's a lot of military personnel. Then you retire mm-hmm. someplace like here where, you know, first of all, it's rural, and second of all, you don't know that you know not everybody walking around. You can't assume they're all related to government work. Right. Very unusual. Yeah. Right. So, what's the biggest uh, problem facing our veterans today here in the Adams County or tri-state area?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think the numbers are somewhere around fifty-five hundred veterans in in Adams County. Um, so, I, probably the uh, the biggest challenges are is to make sure that. Uh, veterans know uh, how to get services. Um, So obviously they can go to the Illinois Veterans Home, to the veteran service officer, and and get those kind of uh, VA benefits that they're authorized to have. Um, But when you step aside from that, uh, many of them and their families, for whatever reason, need some additional help. Um, So I think that's where our groups as the Tri-State Veterans Support. uh, I also serve on the board of the Tri-State Warrior Outreach. Um, So what we really try to do is to meet all the unmet needs um, that veterans and their families have that they can't get through the traditional federal VA system.
0: Is this where things like Wounded Warrior Project, we hear a lot about these private not-for-profits. Some of them have received a black eye uh, in recent years because some of the money wasn't necessarily spent to really help that many people. A lot of it went to administration and high-priced people overseeing the funds. So it's kind of hard sometimes as an average person to know who to, to donate to. But Are you in touch with these private not-for-profits? We hear like Wounded Warrior, et cetera, hear about them coming in and building homes for people or making adaptations or providing extra care with Mm -hmm. specialty care that maybe they can't get at the Mm -hmm. VA. And and frankly, you know, our VA big hospital is so far away, you know, some people would not be able to access that. So are those things uh, happening here?
1: Right, I, I think there's, um, so you have two choices as a, as a veteran here. If, if the clinic can't serve you here in Quincy for the tri-state veterans who come here, then you, uh, you're you likely going to be seen at Iowa City um, or Columbia at the VA hospital there. So there's there's methods to get veterans to those two locations.
0: Are there methods to transport them to those two locations?
1: There are. There is a, a bus service um that goes, that I know for a fact goes from here, from Quincy to Iowa City um, on, on a somewhat routine basis, yeah. Right.
0: So they know when the Quincy people are coming, so they get their appointments on a Tuesday or whatever that is. That, that right. happens a lot. So, you know, we keep talking about this, Richard, Elson, Peter. How, mm-hmm. how can you not know? When you separated as a lieutenant colonel from the United States Air Force, they just said, Jane, job well done. Now, we'll never hear from you again. I mean, did you did you have full access to, and your wife too, although she didn't have a career like you did, but did you understand fully what was out there for you, even at the lieutenant colonel level? Did you understand what was all out there?
1: Yeah, I, I think you don't uh, fully understand it until you have to go touch it and feel it.
0: Until you need it. Right. Isn't until that one it. of the problems too? Right. You don't, pay, you're just worried about getting out. And what you're going to do next. And you had a job next, you know, that was very high power and very intense. So until you get sick or until you need something, you don't think a lot about it. There is the physical time frame disconnect that works against veterans.
1: Mm -hmm. I think one of the pluses, though, uh, for military service uh, is that all of the services have a transition program. So uh, if you're separating after your four years of service, or in my case, when you're retiring, um, you have a transition program. So various entities, for instance, the one we're specifically talking about is the Veterans Administration. So there's a whole program where they come in and tell you, quote, how to fill out your disability uh, claims, if you have any, how to process those kind of things, what's the timing of that paperwork. Uh, But, you know, I will say, there's a lot of things quote thrown at you in a very short period in transition and oh by the way you're you're trying to sell your house, you're trying to get your kids enrolled in the next school they're going to go to you're looking for employment i mean so there's a lot of things that are competing for that old uh small knowledge base that I have up there so uh um, I, so i I think uh whenever you relocate, which is also part of that transition is uh finding the services you need at that location particularly here in this area in the tri-state region is so important to your well-being and and you know um there's no greater honor than serving your country and so we should have those kind of places and the things that richard and and i and glenn swick and the tri-state warrior outreach are involved with try to meet the things that that the quote the va can't and i always tell people um in both our Tri-State Veteran support and what uh, Glenn Swick does with the Tri-State Warrior Outreach is 100% of the rec- funding requirement goes to the veteran.
0: Good for you.
1: It's glad to hear it's that. It's a beautiful thing. Is housing
0: one of the biggest mm-hmm. problems? In addition, like the VA, like you said, can handle uh, you know even your emotional needs if you get there and, and, and recognize those and ask for that kind of help. But what other challenges face our veterans? Because right now... Try statewide. Housing is a critical problem, and so I imagine that veterans, like everybody else, some of them are hit with that kind of problem too. Mm-hmm.
2: To build a little bit on what Barry had said, is there are some great programs when veterans are transitioning out, uh, and they really, really are trying to give veterans the information they need. However, since they are going nationwide, whenever you get out of the military, you go nationwide. They can't tell you everything you need to know. They just give you the generalized idea of what you should know. And then when you get back, the military is very, very good at telling veterans or telling soldiers what to go, where to go, what to do, how to do when they're in service. So veterans don't really have to worry about what you know what services are available because they know they're surrounded by that while they're in no
0: matter where they're transferred to Scott Air Force Base or Arizona yeah. or the oh. Pentagon what the PX is going to be there what you need is going to be there
2: right and there's somebody there that can tell you where to go if you need to go someplace when you get out and come home even though they've given you that really great packet of information All of a sudden, you are alone. There is no orderly room to go to. There is no first sergeant or commander that you can go to and ask where I need to go. So you are on your own to kind of find those services. And that's what Barry was kind of um, talking about, the warrior outreach or the tri-state veterans or the together tri-state veterans or any of these other, the VA clinics and things like that, is to get the veterans the information they need. So we uh, that is our goal Um, as veterans is to try to get that information out.
0: And I know that in the past, well, I've known you for a long time, Richard, but, I mean, you've really ramped up this effort in the past years of, you know, having programs like this, having PSAs. I mean, it is a matter of trying to reach people. And since you you don't get notified when somebody who's a veteran moves in, you have to find them or at least make yourself so a beacon Mm -hmm. that they're able to find you uh... Barry well, chain are you doing are we doing enough here locally to to make that happen and especially we do talk a lot about people with physical medical problems and emotional medical problems right. are we doing enough it's lovely that we have a clinic here and a brand new one and you know a bigger space and everything but just having the clinic there doesn't necessarily get anybody to walk up to the door
1: right that's always the challenge i think um... If if we have a veteran or a family member out there that that has a need and they're not getting the need, then then we're not there yet.
0: Right. If you're uh, if if somebody doesn't know about it, you you are not completely successful right. despite all your efforts.
1: Right. So I think, but the positives are, is I think you know, in warfare you say you you have a you know four or five prong attack you know so you don't. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket on how to try to satisfy a veteran's needs. So I think the things that Richard's um, started, you know, our Veterans Resource Fair, you know, not a sprint, a marathon. We've Mm -hmm. incrementally improved that effort. Uh, The services that we had um, this last October at the CROC, uh, you know, we had 50-plus veterans and family members who come. So that's a real positive step forward of educating um, veterans on what's here what's available and um, I, I think you know those are all good steps in the right direction and come coming back maybe to the the kinds of things that we do to help veterans um, that quote the traditional VA cannot so we have we have folks that are in need of help with mortgage for a month uh House,
0: in other words housing their
1: car broke down car broke down um they need they need some uh, uh, automobile repair those you know those kind of things so I mean there's several things that we help um, I think in Tri-State Warrior we've averaged um, in the last eight years somewhere around eleven to twelve thousand dollars that we've supported multiple veterans with in in various uh, funding amounts um, um, so those those are really good news stories.
2: Well, yes. I that I know with Barry and the tri say Veteran Support uh, because of some of these great opportunities or grants that are out there, uh, and I have to say I feel very blessed. In so many times with grants, you have to look for the grants and apply for the grants. Uh, I have some great connections uh, with these organizations that will call me or send me a text and say, "Rich, apply for this grant. We're you know we want you to apply for this one." Uh, so we apply, and last year we received ten three $10,000 grants for uh, food insecurities uh, within the area. So we received all three of those. We were, last year in 2022, we gave out $30,000 in food insecurity grants, uh, you know, cards to veterans within the area uh, to help them with that food insecurities. So just things like that, you know, short-term, so many times with so many government agencies, you apply, and then two, three months later, you may get an answer. Yeah. Well, it's said if you're having trouble, if you're having an eviction my notice. My rent's Thank
0: yeah, you. Yeah,
2: is, yeah, my rent's due on Tuesday, um, <laughs> and I'm going to be evicted if I don't get it paid. You know, we try to take care of the of immediate needs, you know, in a very quick fashion, where a lot of times with the government agencies, it may take two, three, four months to get an answer. We try to do it you know, within hours or days.
0: It's always a problem for everybody because by the, in the United Way is the first one to say, ask early, ask early, you know, don't wait till the crisis. But you can speak of the mind of military people. You don't want to really ask for help. So you almost do. You know they're going to delay until the very last moment because they think there's a way. I mean, you've been mm-hmm. in command. You know that plan A didn't work. Okay, now I'm going to try plan B. Well, by the time you get down to plan D, it's imminent that this, is, that this is going to happen. And, and failure is an option in the civilian world. And so people do have food insecurity. They do have a homelessness problem. So just letting them know that there's somebody there that cares about them and will help them and not judge them is critically important to them, asking for the little bit of help before they get in so much trouble that they need a lot of help.
2: Well, you and I have talked on this um, program before, that veterans are very self-reliant. They, I'm strong, I can take it, I can hack it, I can deal with it. You know, I don't need help, I can do it. um, Until they can't. So, you know, one of those things that I think Barry and I um, are very, very, uh, you know, in tune with is trying to get the information out to the veterans. Where can they go for help? Who can they ask for? And not necessarily being able to take care of that ourselves, but guiding them to where they need to go to get that help. So if it's the VA clinic, if it's Blessing Emergency Services, if it's Warrior Outreach Program, if it's Tri-State Veteran Support, if it's the United Way, Salvation Army, but guiding them to where the services are.
0: We're talking today with Richard Elson-Peter with Barry Chain, retired uh, lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force. We're back, Talk Radio 930 WTAD. My thanks today to Richard Elson-Peter for always bringing me a fabulous guest and my guest today, retired Lieutenant Colonel from the United States Air Force, Pentagon-based, uh, on the day our nation was attacked, a Barry chain. And, uh, you know, your service to our country doesn't really end, even in your retirement. You're part of the Mayor's Veterans City Council, the Tri-State Warrior Outreach, the Tri-State Veterans Support. Uh, you've worked with the American Red Cross and uh, the Honor Flight and honor flight's getting ready to start back up again and tell us a little bit about that and who's are you full or can somebody still mm-hmm. squeeze in
1: well we we always uh, happy to take veterans application so uh, I think the honor flight what we what we say our mission our mission statement is is to make every veterans day as great as it can be and so it's really a, a super day yeah we're um, our first mission is going to be out of Hannibal High School on April 6th, and uh, we're going to get up early that day. We're going to leave about 3.15 in the morning, uh, bus to St. Louis, and then spend the day in Washington, D.C., uh, touring uh, veterans monuments and memorials, and then we'll have a welcome home ceremony that night in uh, at Hannibal High School. So,
0: And yeah. the World War II guys, most of them have you're not really entered. I mean, they could come if there was one that wanted to come. But that generation's almost past this now, aren't they? Who are you into now? Is Korea almost past too, or where are we in the in the yeah. veterans? Who's most likely to be going on these newer trips?
1: Yeah, uh, a World War II or Korea veteran goes right to the top of the list. Right, they'll they'll go the next mission. Uh, but primarily now we're uh, taking Vietnam veterans. And then uh, the board decided a couple months that uh, a couple months ago that we needed to extend our eligibility years. So we transitioned from the Vietnam era, 1975, and then veterans who uh, have served uh, their country up to 1985 are now eligible to uh, go on the Great River Honor Flight trip.
0: Okay, so um, repeat those requirements again, just so folks out there listening know that they may be eligible. Right.
1: Okay. So, um, any veteran who served during the World War II, Korea, or Vietnam conflicts are eligible to, to attend. Those veterans who served in between those conflicts, we call that armed forces veterans are also eligible to attend, uh, to go on the trip. And then any veteran now who served, uh, prior to night, July of 1985 are also eligible.
0: To okay, go. so quite a few people. Let it get it's a full day of activities in our nation's capital. And this is all privately paid for. The veterans have no cost to go. This is all private donations. Uh,
1: that's correct. Uh, veterans travel at no cost. Uh, we we charge uh, the guardians a small fee. The guardians help their veterans throughout the day. Many of the guardians are family members of of somehow some way, um, and I. Um, you know, you know, Quincy in this area, in the tri-state region, uh, as a guy who's been here now 10 years and seen a lot of giving throughout the world, uh, there's no better place than here. It's absolutely amazing what it's, people yeah. do to support the Honor Flight.
0: The Honor Flight, probably one of the most well-funded Honor Flights in all the nation. And our Freedom, our freedom for Fishing event is the second mm. in the nation. And at Quincy. You know, mm-hmm. the next best one is like down in Houston, Texas or something like <laughs> that. So it's just amazing what we can do. Barry Chain, thank you for your service. Thank you for telling your story. It's nice to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, definitely I'm going to maybe have you come back and we'll talk about 9-11 a little bit more from a from a personal perspective as someone who was on the ground there mm-hmm. uh, when that was happening because, uh, wow, it's been a long time. These younger kids, they it's just a date in a history book. We need people to bring history alive, don't we? Or else it's just a date in a history book.
1: Right, right. You don't want to, uh, you know, you need to learn from the history and your lessons. And and hopefully we can keep telling that story and um, people are interested in, in what we learned.
0: Okay. And, of course, so much of what you do, especially in security in the military, you can't tell anyone. What do you think, real quick, off the top of your head, what's an appropriate look back? How long should things be sealed before we get, into, do, do, do the people have to be dead 20 years before we take a look at what they did, or should we be should be unsealing documents sooner so we can look back and because you know, everybody's got an opinion, you know, the media especially has got an opinion of how everything went. So,
1: well, I would I would just say off the top is that uh, there's tons of classified information that are reviewed and looked at daily. Um, obviously, some more important than others, but. Uh, uh, the things at the highest level, we should be very careful about what we do and how we release that information. That below it, secret and confidential, probably at some point should be released and uh, available to the public.
0: Okay. Well, we'll just keep hoping that we'll get to know the whole story. Thank you so very much, Richard. Looking forward to your next great guest. It's going to be hard to top this one, Richard. Get to work. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it is being worked on as we speak.